How many times per week do you misplace your keys? Or are you one of those people who constantly loses their wallet? <laughs> Doesn't look like someone's getting their fracture, whatchamacallit, before work, huh? What about those of you repeatedly losing your cell phone? Do you ever find anything else in the chamber of secrets in your car? You know what I'm talking about. That little space between your seat and the middle console. Ah, there's the chapstick you've been looking for. Wait, aren't you looking for your phone? What do you think the number one most lost item is? The television remotes. 71% of people lose their remote at least once a month. Over the course of our lifetime, we will spend a total of 3,680 hours looking for things we have lost. That is 153 days. Today, we are continuing our study in the life of Elisha. And what we are going to see is that God is in the business of finding lost things. Well, I have no doubt that miracles occur every day, and I think most of us in this room and at home would agree with that. You have seen miracle after miracle, God coming through just in the moment when you needed him to, he came through. So you'll resonate with this story. James Dobson, on his Focus on the Family show, shares a story about a friend of his who had a miracle happen in his life. His friend's name was Jim. Well, Jim started the story by saying that he and his wife were both raised in Christian families and they were taught about the power of prayer, but they never had really experienced it for themselves. Now, that's a shame for so many people, isn't it? They go to church and they never really do the things the pastor talks about. They never really understand the power of prayer. Well, Jim admits that as a couple, they really weren't seeking God all that much. Uh, they didn't pray much together as a family, probably right before dinner. A lot of people do that, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, go God kind of prayer. Or they didn't talk much about spiritual things and what God was doing in their individual lives. Jesus was just a part of their life, but he wasn't the centerpiece of their life. Well, Jim's wife began to dive deeper into her relationship with God, and she started taking some of the things about Christ very, very seriously. She started reading her Bible. She started taking prayer seriously, and she started praying for Jim. In fact, she bought Jim a study Bible, and he began to read the Word of God for the first time in his life. Uh, Jim said as a result, things just started to change in his life, but he still wouldn't consider himself a spiritually mature person, still really wasn't leaning upon the Lord for direction or for power in his life. Well, that summer, Jim and his wife went to on a vacation over to Yellowstone Park with four other couples. Now, that's a good time. Yellowstone is a good time. Well, several of them went fishing the next day. And one of the ladies hooked a trout. Well, she leaned over as you do to grab a net to get the fish out of the water, and her glasses fell off of her face. They immediately sank to the bottom of the lake, and she was very upset. She needed those glasses. She couldn't see now without those glasses, and without the glasses, she would get severe headaches when she didn't wear them. So she needed to find the glasses, and she was bummed out that she had lost them. Well, that night, everybody was talking about how unfortunate it was that she had lost the glasses, and they were talking about where she had lost them, when all of a sudden, Jim's wife said, you know, Jim's a great scuba diver. He'll go out and find them for you. 
Now, don't you love it when your wife volunteers you to do something? Like my wife said, hey, my husband climbed that ladder. Get on top of that roof for you. I've never been in a roof on my life, and I'm scared to death of heights. But my wife has volunteered me to do it. Man, don't you love it when she volunteers you to do it? He said, hey, he, she's a, he's a scuba diver. He can go out there and find them for you. Do you know that the Yellowstone Lake is 172 miles of shoreline and every single tree looks exactly the same? Jim looked at his wife. He said, there's no way I'm going to find those glasses and the water's cold. 50 degrees. They won't even allow you to water ski out there. And I didn't bring my wetsuit. Well, he told her all those things. Size of the lake, the coolness of the water. Didn't have a wetsuit. Those objections seem pretty obvious to me. Of course, they fell on deaf ears. Can you imagine that husband's, the objections fell on deaf ears. Well, later that night, Jim's wife said, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you find those glasses. And Jim thought she's cray-cray. She's jumped on the crazy train. That's what she has. Well, the next morning, they got in the boat. And they headed about a half mile out from the shore. And Jim said, uh, well, where, where do you think you know you dropped them? And someone said, well, I think it was around this area over here. Well, Jim got in the water, and it was freezing. Can you imagine 50-degree water? So he takes hold of the rope. This is what's so great. He takes hold of the rope because they're going to drag him behind the boat. So they drag him with the rope behind the boat. Doesn't have a wetsuit on. He's freezing. Now the, the water is crystal clear. He could see all the way to the bottom. And the bottom of the water was only about 10 feet deep. So about 20 minutes of being dragged, Jim was freezing to death. So he prayed a little prayer when he got out of that boat. And he said, Lord, if you know where these glasses are, I sure wish you'd tell me. Well, Jim wasn't convinced that even God knew where those stupid glasses were. That lake is huge. But then a voice came into his mind. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we get impressions. We don't hear a voice, but you feel an impression. You get a thought in your mind, and you just cannot deny that God is trying to say something to you. So he gets this impression. He hears this voice in his mind, and God says, I know exactly where those glasses are. Get in the boat, and I'll take you to them. Well, just like a typical human being, Jim ignored the voice inside of his head and he got back in the water and he's dragged again for another 20 minutes. Well, he is absolutely sick of it. He's freezing to death. He gets back on the boat. He's freezing again. So he prays the second time. This is his prayer. Lord, if you still know where those glasses are, I'll go where you want me to go. Jim then told the driver to head to a direction that he felt like the voice in his head was telling him where to go. Well, the other people in the boat were saying things like, we're in the wrong place. They're over there. The driver of the boat said, we were never this far out. But Jim was persistent, said, no, this is where I think the glasses are. We're going to go here. Well, they got to the place where they thought the Lord was telling him the glasses were at, and he told everybody to stop the boat. He then jumped in the water, looked down, and guess what? The glasses were right there. Jim said it was one of the clearest answers to prayer that he's ever had, and that answer to prayer 
set him on fire spiritually. He said, till the day I die, I'll never forget those sparkling glasses at the bottom of Yellowstone Lake. Listen to me. God has a way of making what was once lost found. Let me say that again, because that was good. God has a way of making what was lost found. Well, today we're concluding our series in the life of Elisha. I'm a little bit sad to see this series go. I've really enjoyed it. And what we're gonna see is that God is in the business of finding lost things. Now, next week, we're beginning a brand new series, a little quick two-part series called The Queen of Hearts. It's all about the life of a woman by the name of Esther. Her story is one of the most fascinating stories in the entire Bible, so don't miss next week. Well, the story we're looking at today begins in 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's take a look at it. The Bible says, The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole, and let's build a place there for us to live. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. All right, so here's the context. School of prophets where Elisha teaches is getting too small. More and more prophets are coming. They need a bigger place to meet. So they decide to head down to the Jordan and start building a bigger school. And while they're cutting down different trees, one young, poor seminary student, every kid in college understands what I'm talking about right now, one poor seminary student loses an ax head. Now, this was a big deal. Iron was hard to come by, and it's extremely expensive. And then we find out that the axe head isn't even his. He's borrowed it, and since he's borrowed it, guess what? He needs to replace it, and he doesn't have any money to replace it. Now, some of you need to go over right now and tell your neighbor that, right? They borrowed something from you, and they need to give back what they borrowed. And if they don't have it, they need to replace it. And some of you need to look through your garage and give back to your neighbor what you borrowed. And if you lost it, then you need to replace it. Can you imagine how sick this kid must be? He's got no money to buy a new one. I mean, this isn't going very well for him at all. Well, thankfully, Elisha walks over and asks, where did it fall in? The student shows him, and Elisha cuts a stick, throws it on top of the water, and the axe head begins to float back to the surface. Now, here's the question we got to ask ourselves. Why is this story in the Bible? I mean, it's just an axe head. And this is kind of a weird story, too. You throw a stick and an axe head begins to float. Why in the world is this story in the Bible? Well, it's a reminder that God cares about every detail of our life. Let me say that again because that just, that just helps me so much. God cares about every detail of your life. Think about this. Our God is big enough to create every galaxy and every universe, but he makes himself small enough to know your name. He's big enough 
to part the Red Sea. You remember the story when Moses raised out his staff and he parted the Red Sea? Our God is big enough to part the Red Sea, but he's small enough to know the number of hairs on your head. Our God is big enough to shut the mouths of lions. That's what he did for Daniel when he found himself in the lion's den. But he makes himself small enough to know when you get up and when you lie down. Our God is big enough to know the intricacies of the universe and yet he makes himself small enough to know every worry that you've ever had on your mind. Our God is big enough to die in our place and take our shame and our sin, but he makes himself small enough to know the number of scars upon our heart. He knows everything. He knows everything that's happened to me. He knows everything that's happened to you. He knows all about the good. He knows all about the bad. He knows all about the ugly. He saw every insult that you've ever received. He's, he's seen all the times when you felt like you were overlooked. He, he has seen you get the short end of the stick. He, he has seen any time that you were betrayed. He, he's seen any time when you felt like you were treated unfairly. And he promises, he promises that he will take care of all that for you. So you don't need to take matters into your own hands because he has it in his hands. Vengeance is his, saith the Lord. And our job in all those situations is to forgive in the same way that Jesus has forgiven us. We're supposed to let that stuff go because he's got it in his hands and he's more than capable of taking care of that. Friends, he knows everything that you're dealing with today. He, he knows your financial situation. He knows that you got more month than you got money. He, he knows all about your dysfunctional family and how wiggity-wack that place can be from time to time. He, he knows how things are going at your job. He knows how things are going at your school. He, he also knows the kind of sacrifices that you make for him. And he's noted every sacrifice that you've ever made with great delight. The Bible says he knows every cup of water, even a cup of water that we've extended to somebody else. He has taken note of every one of those things. And one day on the judgment day, the Bible says that he's gonna reward you for every kind deed and every act of kindness that you did for someone else. Think about this. Every time you've said something kind to someone, God saw that. Every time you've ever given money for ministry purposes, God saw the sacrifice that you made. Every time you served him in any way, God's been delighted and he saw it even when nobody else did. Your secret acts of service, God saw every single one and he's gonna reward you for every act of service that you've done in his name. And friends, listen to this, because I know there's times when you pray prayers and you think those prayers bounce off the ceiling and they come back again and they don't get very far. That's not true. Your prayers are not based upon your feelings. It's based upon the one you're talking to. And he has heard every prayer you've ever prayed. Every time, every single time you've called out to him. God hears you and he sees you. 
and he knows all about your tomorrow. And that's why he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Focus in on today. He knows what you're gonna be facing. And he promises that no matter what, he will be there for us no matter what. He'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Oh, what an amazing God we have. Think about this, with seven billion people alive on this planet, somehow God sees you. Somehow, he's so personal, isn't he? Somehow he knows you by name because you matter and your life matters to him. And every detail of your life, every stress, every worry, every piece of anxiety, he knows about those things and he will intervene in your life and he will do exceedingly abundantly more than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. Oh, what an amazing God he is. Now the second reason this story is here in the Bible is because God wants to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Let me say that again. God wants to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. So let me ask you a question. What have you lost? Some of you say, I've lost my mind. I understand where you're coming from. I, so, the other day I lost my wallet. Couldn't find my wallet. So stressed out. I'm not talking about your mind. I'm not talking about your wallet. Here's what I want to know. What have you lost spiritually speaking? Some of us have lost our passion for the Lord. There was a time, wasn't there, where you were so close to the Lord, where you loved him more than you ever have before. There was a time when you were, could feel his breath upon your face and he was so close to you and you just felt overwhelmed by his presence. You could almost touch him, couldn't you? He was so real to you. He was so personal. But unfortunately, you lost it. You don't love him the way that you used to love him. You, you don't walk with him and talk with him and do life together with him like you used to do. He, he's become a, a second thought rather than the first thought. Some of us have lost our joy. You, you used to have spiritual contentment. I mean, you felt a peace that passes all understanding. It didn't matter what was going on in your life. Even in the midst of the hard times, you had a peace and it didn't make any sense, but God overwhelmed you with his presence and you knew that everything was gonna be okay and so you had joy in the midst of your circumstances and today, you don't have that anymore. Today, you just find yourself tossing and turning in your bed, relying more on your own strength and your own wisdom than on God. I understand what that's about. Whenever I take matters into my own hands when I don't rely upon him, I don't have any peace in my life. I'm trying to do it in my own strength and my own power. And sometimes we do this because we think, well, he didn't come through for me the way that I thought he should come through for me. And so now I gotta take matters into my own hands. And the weight of what you're carrying all that stuff with, it's just weighing you down. You've lost the joy of your salvation. Some of us at one time had a great faith in God. You used to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers, prayers so big that only God could pull them off. But lately, your prayer life has become routine and predictable. For some of us, our prayer life has become spotty at best or even non-existent. You don't even think about praying. And when you do pray, you last about 10 seconds because your mind wanders over here and your mind wanders over there. Let's be honest. 
Some of us used to be distinctive in the way that you lived your life for the Lord. There was a time that sin disgusted you. You wanted to stay as far away from it as possible. There was a time you took sin very seriously. You wanted to live your life to please him in everything that you said and did. But over time, your standards have kind of eroded over the years. And the things that you promised God that you would never do are the things that you're currently engaged in. Friends, the things that never, that once bothered you, now all of a sudden those things don't bother you anymore. And now you feel a distance between you and the Lord because you love your sin more than you love your Savior. Some of us used to talk about Jesus to everyone all the time because you cared about people in your sphere of influence who didn't have a relationship with God. You used to really believe that there really is a heaven, there really is a hell, and people really are gonna go to one place or the other. But you don't talk about him much anymore. You don't even bring him up. You, you rarely invite someone to come to church with you. You've just kind of given up on the whole thing. Some of us, you used to serve on a mission team. At one time in your life, you were the hands and feet of Jesus. And you loved it. But along the way, your service to God became more of a have to rather than a get to. And you're burned out. And you've been sitting on the sidelines and you said it was just gonna be a brief amount of time, like a season. And you've been sitting on the sidelines not using your gifts, talents, and abilities for the Lord. You've been sitting on the sidelines for years. You lost your passion for the Lord. You lost what you once had, and I'm certain that you didn't mean to lose it. Who would want to lose a closeness to God? Who would want to lose intimacy with God? But others came up in your life. And other stuff came up in your life that was more important to you. Maybe it was your kids. You run that little center over here and run them over there. They got sports teams and, and drama and other junk they got going on in their life, and you're just so busy, you just don't have time for the Lord anymore. Maybe it was a job or a project or a hobby. You spend more time on your hobby than you do pursuing God. Maybe it's the fact that you went back to the bar, back to the alcohol, back to the drugs. You went back to the porn site, back to the computer, back to the smartphone, back to the habit, back to the thing that you promised God that you would never go back to. Maybe, maybe you got married and you had every intention of truly sharing your love for God with each other. But you haven't seemed to get around to that, have you? You're not enjoying that aspect of your spiritual life together. You're still not praying together. You still don't read God's word together. You're still not talking about spiritual things. Maybe it was a guy or a girl who came into your life and they haven't been good for you. And, and they became the center of your universe. And it's a toxic relationship and it's not building you up and drawing you closer to the Lord. I, I remember when I was in college, I was a student pastor and I started dating this girl and after a few months, you know, the relationship was just, it wasn't honoring to God. And it was destroying me. It was destroying me spiritually. It was like the Holy Spirit just wouldn't get off my back. And I tried, I tried to ignore him. I tried to ignore the, the guilt that I was feeling, the conviction that I was feeling. I tried to blow him off. I, tr I tried to live my life my own way, doing what I wanted to do and ignoring what God wanted. And all it brought me was pain and emptiness. And, and I felt like such a hypocrite. I couldn't even read my Bible. I couldn't even open it up because I knew what I was doing was wrong. Some of us are very good at faking it because I faked it for months. Oh, I acted like I had a close relationship with God, but I knew that I didn't. Something was missing inside of me, the closeness, the intimacy. I missed Jesus. Up on the board, we got the top nine sins that Americans say that they struggle with the most. 
They are materialism, laziness, self-centeredness, pride, gluttony, anger, sexual lust, envy, and lying. Is that where you lost it? Was one of these things, is that what messed up your life? Because Elisha asked the young man, hey, where did you lose the, the axe head? Where exactly did you lose it? Was it when you stopped making going to church a priority of your weekend? The average person goes to church once every four to six weeks. Was it when you stopped spending time with God on a daily basis? Is that where you lost it? Was it when you started listening to music that wasn't honoring to God? And it did something to you. It did something to your spirit. It did something to your soul. Did, did you get so busy making money that you forgot where true riches really come from? Did you get so financially independent that you didn't think that you had a need for the Lord anymore? Or, or, or did you get cynical about church? Because somebody hurt you along the way. I want you to see what happens to the person who holds on to this stuff. David is a man who God said was after his own heart. Well, there was a season of his life where he wasn't living for the Lord. And one day he's out on the balcony and he sees a woman who's bathing. And he wants to be with her intimately. And the servant tries to warn him. He says, hey, that's, that's Uriah's wife. You, you need to stay away. That, that, that's not right. And David said, bring her to me. And so he had sex with her. And he committed adultery because David was already a married man. And then he had the woman's husband, Bathsheba's husband, murdered because Bathsheba, she got pregnant. And so he calls Uriah from the front lines and sets him up in such a manner that he has him killed. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. A man who was once after God's own heart lost it all. And for one year, he holds on to that sin. He holds on to what he's done. And it just, it just killed him on the inside. He felt a distance from God. I want you to see what he writes. He says, when I kept silent, my bones, they wasted away. He says, through all my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Friends, if you wanna find what you've lost, you have to get honest about where you lost it. You have to confess to God that you zigged when you should have zagged. This is where I messed up. This is where I blew it. This is where I put other things to be more important than you. And the Bible says this in 1 John 1, 1.9. It's one of my favorite verses of scripture. It says, if you confess your sins. I want you to get that first word, if. It's a choice. You have to make a decision. If. If you'll finally come to your senses. If you'll realize you lost the best friend you ever had. You've placed distance between you and the Lord. If you will come to your senses and you will confess your sins. God, I'm sorry, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm turning away from this sin. Our God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. He will throw your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will put your sin behind your back. He will remember your sin no more.
So confess your sin to God. And then allow his grace and his forgiveness to so overwhelm you. And then go back and start doing the things that you used to do when you had that close relationship with God. I want to give you permission to connect with God in a way that he wired you to connect with him. Listen, we're all different. We all have different ways where we are best connected to the Lord, where we feel closest to the Lord. For instance, maybe you connect best with God just outside. It's been a long time since you've gone outside and gone on a prayer walk. Why don't you go do that? That will connect you. That's the way God wired you to connect with him. I've got guys in the church, they connect best with God when they go on a hunting trip. And they're out there in, their, in nature and they've got their Bible with them. And while they're waiting, they're reading the Bible and they're praying and they connect with God out in nature. Maybe you're an artistic person and you best connect with God through painting or writing poetry. Maybe you don't read very well and you find it hard to read the Bible. You can download a Bible app and you can hit play on the Bible app and you can listen to what the scriptures have to say. Maybe you just need to start reading the Bible app that's on the Sagebrush app and follow along through the New Testament plan. Get yourself back into the Word of God. Maybe you connect the best with God through music. I love worship music. I love cranking up a good tune and singing my praises to the Lord. So roll down the windows and let the bass beat down, man, and blow the windows out of your car. Maybe it was back when you were serving on that ministry team. And you felt so alive and you felt like you were being used by God. You were like the hands and feet of Jesus. You saw how God was using you. But then something bad happened. You thought, I'm out of here. Go back. Go back to the things you used to do when you felt so close to the Lord. Do the things that draw you closer to him. Sing to him. Do life with him. Serve with him. Love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. That young man had to take back what was lost. He had to grab that ax head. And you and I got to do the same thing in our relationship with God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus writes to the church of Laodicea. He's frustrated with this church because they're just half-hearted for him. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The people of Laodicea knew all about how useless lukewarm water was. You see, Laodicea was about halfway between the city of Colossae, which was well known for its refreshing cold waters, and Heropolis, the largest Roman city famous for its hot springs and baths that cured ailments. In between the two cities sat Laodicea, a city where the streams of cold water from the west and the hot water from the north met. So as a result, their water was lukewarm. In fact, the water in Laodicea many times made people sick and they make them so sick because of the high mineral content. Jesus says this, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. I, I wish you were useful, either hot, like the water of the Heropolis that heals those who bathe in it, or cold, like the water of Colossae that refreshes those who taste it. But, but instead, what are you? You're lukewarm. You're a lukewarm mess, that's what you are. And it makes other people sick and they want to throw up. So if you're sitting here today afraid that Jesus is going to mess up your life, if you'll get serious about him, understand it's the lukewarm life that's making you sick. Jesus wants to lead you to a life that's far greater than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. 
Jesus says, look, listen, a, a lukewarm life, any life at all. And so Jesus says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Would you please let me in? Jesus ends his letter to the church of Laodicea and says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Do you hear Jesus knocking? He's not knocking to slam you. He's knocking to give you abundant life on this earth and eternal life in heaven. Your life could be so much more. Jesus says, I, I wanna eat with you. I, I wanna talk with you. I wanna teach you. I wanna stretch you. I wanna lead you. I wanna guide you. Depend on me. Look to me. I am the one who can forgive you. I am the one who loves you. Do you hear me knocking? Will you let me in? Some of us are afraid of what I've talked about today because you're certain if you really got fired up for God that God would ruin your life. You want just enough God to save you from hell but not enough God to really change you. You're lukewarm and you're miserable. So let me say it again. A lukewarm life is no life at all. God wants you hot. God cares about you and his plan for your life greater than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. You've got to take back what you've lost. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, if there was ever a time that we were more in love with you than we are today, wake us up to our spiritual condition. Help us to look back upon our life when we really were close to you, when we were overwhelmed by your presence, by your love, by your spirit. God, take us back to the things that we did and may we start doing those things once again. Lord, if there's some sin that we need to confess, I pray that we would come to our senses and we would confess it to you. Lord, that we would want everything we have in a relationship with you and we would want nothing less. We would not settle for sin, but we would settle for your life, Lord, the life that you have planned for us, a life of purpose, a life of significance. So Lord, show us what we've lost and show us how to find it back. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.